0: We're in, uh, in 1 Samuel 21. It's a bit of a dark chapter, dark, dark season uh, in David's life. So we'll read here, chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read all the way into, uh, into chapter 22 a little bit. And we'll touch on some of the Psalms as well that were written by David during this period. Starting at verse 1, it says, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand, however, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that that day, detained before the Lord, he was Doag the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David said to Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapons because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it, there is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. That, David, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? David took these words at heart and was very much afraid of Akish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adulon. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. It's a great passage. It is a little bit of an interesting passage. Uh, but we'll dig through it together and, and see, what, uh, see what we're meant to learn from it. Let's have a prayer before we do that, though. Uh, Father, we are uh, we're grateful to be able to be gathered together. Uh, we pray, God, you help us, God, as we look at this kind of dark chapter in, in David's life, God, where he does seemingly lose his way, Father, that we, that we can learn from it, God. We know that, that life is full of, you know, great highs and great joys, but also times of great despair. Times where the darkness seems to envelop us, God we pray, God, you can help us to learn the lessons that David learned during that period, God, so that we can walk faithfully with you no matter what comes our way in life. Again, we thank you for this time to be together. We ask you to move among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're familiar with the story, right? Again, we've been going through it over the last few months. Uh, the, the, the reality is that the proverb that sums up this moment is here. Proverbs 17, verse 3, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God has anointed David to be king over Israel. David has been serving God faithfully and fearlessly. But there's still things in his heart and his character that need to change. There's still things that God needs to put him through to mold him and to shape him so that he can be the king that God wants him to be and serve in the way God wants him to be. Uh, but but this, this, this process of purifying metals, you know, like the, the Bible often uses for purifying our characters, is obviously one of a process of fire, of hardships, of difficulties, of dark times. And this is where it's at for David. I mean, we, if you were with us last week, you know, last week we talked about uh, the importance of having great friends. You know, Jonathan and David are tremendous examples. But we also talk about the, the reality of not making your friends your idols and make sure you have a great walk with God in your prayer life. You know, here at this point in David's life, uh, Jonathan is stripped away. His wife, Mikhail, he's had to flee from her. He, he gets to a point where really everything is taken from him. And we see a very different man than we've seen previously. We don't see a man of great strength. We see a man in the midst of great weakness, right? But God is working on him, molding him, and shaping him in order to use him in a greater way. You know, one of the things, though, that's really guiding David or controlling David at this point uh, is, is fear, all right? Uh, and you can see that in this, in, in this text, all right? Sorry, I got a quote there 1st not examining, mean, there you go. Right. And here's a great quote by Alan Redpath talking about that idea of, of God working on the fear in David's heart. Right? It says, In the development of Christian character, there sometimes come moments when darkness seems to fall, the sun seems to set, and to the man himself, everything seems lost. Other people observing his life wonder if he is sinking beyond all hope of recovery. David has reached this point. All right? again, it's talk, Alan Redpath talking about that idea. Uh, and maybe you can relate to David. Uh, even in Psalm 142, which is one of the, the three psalms that David writes during this period, he says there in verse 4, he says, I look to my right and I look to my left and no one is there. Everything's stripped away, everything removed, right? God is systematically, seems to be doing this, uh, driving him deeper and deeper to turn to God. Right? But like I said, one of the main lessons that God is trying to teach David here, and I think in this text, teach us as well is that we need to learn to understand the danger of fear, right? Or probably even more specific, we need to understand why misplaced fear is dangerous, all right? Why misplaced fear is dangerous. Of course, if you're familiar with the wider scope of the Bible, uh, Jesus' very uh, uh, insensitive response to those who are afraid of people is you're, you're fearing the wrong thing. You're afraid of people who can kill you. You should actually be afraid of the one who cannot just kill you, but kill your soul. All right? Misplaced fear is what Jesus' point is, right? But David's fear is not in God at this stage, at this point. It's in people. It's in his circumstances. All right? and so it's misplaced fear. And so we look at some of these sequence of events that happens. Because it's fear that drives him uh, to, to obviously leave Jonathan and, and to go. And as he's fleeing, he realizes, as all men quickly do when you're on the, on the run, uh, what? I don't have any food. He's hungry, right? Because he is still a man, right? And so David goes, and he, and he goes to see uh, Ahimelech, uh, the priest. Uh, and Jesus even refers to this scenario, right? If you're familiar with the Gospels, there's a story of Jesus and his disciples walking through the fields. Uh, and they're hungry because they are men that are traveling as well. And, and what do they do? They run their hands through the grain. Uh, and get some of the, 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 the grains of wheat all right and they blow on it the chaff goes and then they eat it the Pharisees say look your guys are eating on the Sabbath all right? and Jesus goes into a discussion with the, the Pharisees kind of about this principle right of what did David do when he was hungry? He ate the shoe bread, he ate the holy bread. Alright that there are uh, there are various commands in the Bible right and at times they may seem to contradict but they complement and Jesus, in that point, in that scenario, is pointing out the need for mercy. All right? For mercy, all right? That's kind of a side point, though, right? But none, nonetheless, David gets here, and, and he comes in there searching for food, and he very quickly begins to unravel. And one of the reasons he begins to unravel uh, is the presence of this guy named Doeg. You see that there in verse 7? It says, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, to tame him for the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite. Saul's chief shepherd, right? And and when we look at the next chapter, we'll look more at this character. But the the again, we've talked a lot about Saul, right? A rejected king. Uh, he has his chief uh, shepherd is not even an, not even a Jewish person, someone from outside the faith, all right? And this is a, 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 not a positive character, as you'll see. But David nonetheless sees him, and, and what fills his heart is fear. Uh, And it begins to make it, you know, obviously that fear begins to interact with his heart and and, and cause problems. You know, one of the first things I think we we see of why fear is dangerous is that that fear distorts our vision. If you remember earlier in in the story of 1 Samuel, uh, Israel is gripped by fear by this guy named Goliath. Uh, And Goliath would come out every morning and he would taunt the entire Israelite army. And they would all be crippled by fear and paralyzed by fear. David, this little boy of the shepherd, comes on the scene, and does he see that scenario that way? No. He's like, who is this guy who's defying the armies of the living God? He is fearless, because David sees that obstacle as something that's easy for God to deal with. But here, David is confronted not with a giant, a shepherd, A <laughs> The guy, yes, who's loyal to Saul, but really, no, no one that's an incredible, incredibly powerful warrior. And yet David is crippled by fear. His response to that fear? He spins a bunch of lies. <laughs> he lies to Ahimelech, the priest, about what's going on. Right? But the reality is that fear has begun to distort his vision of really who's in control in life. Who's really calling the shots? Who's really determining the steps? That's a lot of times what fear does to us. It gives us tunnel vision, simply on our immediate problem, and we lose sight of God. Ahimelech, to his credit, tries to help. Right? I mean, David asked for a weapon, and Ahimelech is like, "We have one." Goliath, who you slay? You know what I mean? It's almost as if Ahimelech is trying to like remind David, like, "Dude, what are you? You're off. Something's off, David. One, why are you alone?" And two, you don't have a weapon? And three, you don't even remember what weapon we have? And how we had it? Again, David's vision has caused him to lose sight of really what's going on. His vision had become distorted regarding what God could do. You know, he goes from there, right? And you think about the, the lies he tells. You know, he doesn't just lie to Ahimelech. He also then turns around and is going to lie to Akish, the ruler of Gath, right? And, and, and think about it again. Here's, here's David, a man after God's own heart. One of the things I love about the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't portray the, the main characters as flawless humans. It portrays them as they really are. Wanted to look at them and relate to them. But you think about this: David comes into the house of God there with the Ahimelech. Ahimelech clearly senses something's off with David, but David, instead of being truthful and honest, he lies. David flees to Achish. Getting gripped by fear, but as soon as things don't look like they're going to play out well for him, he lies. He gets to act like he's a madman, right? Hebrew is is a little bit more colorful than NIV that we read, right? Saying he makes marks on the wall. Some commentators think that means he was peeing on the wall. right? That's kind of marks he was making. Not scratching it with his fingernails, but maybe just, you know, there in the king's court. And, you know, when nature calls, you have to answer. And he turns and he answers on the wall, perhaps, right? But he's lying, right? And he's lying because the wrong questions are dominating his mind. When fear overtakes us, the question is no longer what is right and wrong. The question that that, that dictates our next choices is no longer that of a moral right or wrong based on what God says. It's more of like, what do I need to do in this scenario to preserve self? It's not conviction that dictates his next course of action. It's the consequences that he's running from. It's no longer truth that is the moral compass that guides him. It's other things driven by his fear. You know, and you've got to think, man, can fear, it. it's, a, it's a powerful thing that, that can seriously distort our ability to see things clearly. And third and lastly here, why is, why is misplaced fear so dangerous is the reality, and this is not the last time David will do this, that David goes from God's people to the foreigner outsider. He doesn't stay in in Israel with God's people. He actually goes to those who are enemies of God. David was in there, part of God's people. And he turned back to the world. Turning back to, in some sense, where where, where he had come from. uh, You know, in, in a spiritual sense. And I think the same is true for us sometimes. Maybe you can relate to that. That thought of of a a place where you're at spiritually, where you begin to feel more comfortable in the world than you do around God's people. And I've heard many people at times say a very scary statement. And a statement being that I am more comfortable around my my non-Christian friends than I am at church. And I think if you've ever thought that thought, or if you've ever said that thought, I urge you to stop and think about that thought. Because when you say that thought or you think that thought of, hey, I'm more comfortable around non-Christian people than I am around church people, you think the reason you're saying that is because the church people are judgmental. And the church people make you feel guilty about things. But that's not the real reason why you're saying that. The real reason why you're saying that is that fear has overtaken you. And that fear of being exposed that Jesus talks about there in John 3 is driving you to lie to yourself and deceive yourself and blame other people for your problems rather than owning them for yourself. And then, ironically, you end up doing like what David's doing here, right? You end up pretending. I mean, there's great irony in this point, right? I mean, what's Saul doing back in Israel? He's a madman, right? Trying to kill David. Literally, pin him to a wall with a spear. Tries to kill his own son, Jonathan, who sticks up for David. But yet, what is Saul doing? He surrounds himself with all this royal court, and he's acting like he is king. David, on the other hand, is actually a sane person. He is actually king, but yet what is he doing? He's pretending to be insane. He's becoming like Saul. Why? Because he's turning away from God. Sometimes we can be tempted to go back into the world and, and begin to pretend and act like everything's okay when in our heart hearts we know it's not. And we hide from a reality of, of, of where our soul's at that we don't want to look at. We don't want to face. And that's the point where David is at. All because of fear. All because of fear. Again, what's God doing Preparing David for greater things. And if we can learn to see fear in that way. Not as something to be uh, avoided at all costs. Squelched down. Covered up and hidden through lies. But faced. That's actually where you find tremendous opportunity for growth. Because the reality is the, the, the things we are most afraid of and the things that, that we are most afraid of coming out are the very things that have to come out in order for you to move forward in life. But what keeps us from opening that door is fear. And often not fear like David has. Fears of people seeing us for what we, are, what we really are. Fear of maybe losing our reputation that we've tried to craft over time. But David shows us here the dangers of misplaced fear. On the positive side, right? David shouldn't have feared, but he did. Neither should we fear, but we do. We can relate to David in that sense, and for sure we have to learn from the transformation that takes place when he figures out the solution. You know, David here, as I said earlier in the beginning, you know, writes at least three psalms at this stage. And I encourage you if you never you know if you haven't don't, don't read psalms regularly, encourage you to read them. They're the prayer book of the Bible, right? If you want to learn how to pray, well, reading psalms or you're reading prayers. Because even then we need help. We need help putting words and framing them in in, in God's ways. And those three psalms that David writes are are, are quite powerful. But you think about here in twenty two, right? this is this is kind of focusing on that section. If you're familiar again with the wider story of, of 1 and 2 Samuel, all these people who come to David that are discontented and, and, and indebted, uh, they become David's mighty men. And if you're looking for you know inspirational reading, you can read about David's mighty men, right? Uh, heroes uh, that, you know, at times stand alone in, in great battles and bring about great victories. Uh, but, but here they gather to David. They're drawn to David. And, and you think about why, why they're drawn, right? It, David had the reputation of being a, a military hero. Even the foreigners figured that out, right? Even Kish and his, his attendants are like, well, why are we having this guy here? Isn't this the guy who they sing about? Even the outsiders are more in tune with the reality that David is their king. And yet when those mighty men arrive, what do they find? A fierce warrior, a brave soldier, a guy crying and writing poetry. Why is that funny, George? It is funny. But in there is that point, right? Of really what is true strength? David's a broken man and Psalm 34 talks about that. When we allow ourselves to be broken, what does that enable God to do? It's To change us. And to mold us and to shape us into something greater. That there's dark periods of time like what David is going through where it feels like, man, everything is stripped away. And in our fear, we try to manipulate and control the situation to hold everything together. That we're so desperately to, you know, trying to prevent to be, to be lost. But, but when we do that, are we maybe actually preventing the lesson that God's trying to hammer into us? And I think it's a lesson that David finally gets hammered into his soul here in that moment. And that's that he needs God. He needs to learn to depend on God in a way that transcends all of his circumstances. Because everything visually at this stage in David's life appears as if God is against him. Everything that's happening here, again, we read it as a snapshot, right? We think, oh, this is a bad day in the life of David. This could have been... Years. Years of running and hiding. But during that time, what's God doing? He's shaping him. Shaping him into the man God needed him to be. Let's read one of these Psalms here. Look at Psalm. Let's read Psalm 142. And as we read it, note the repetitive words. Psalm 142, David writes, starting there in verse 1, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Multiple times, David says, what? He says, I cry. (laughs) I mean, here's a desperate man having everything stripped away. But in that moment, he's reminded of the great truth that we have to have hammered into our hearts. We must be dependent on God. Anything or anyone that you try to use as a refuge in life, anything Or anyone that you try to look for or look to for security, it will be shown to be empty. It cannot deliver what only God can deliver. It cannot give you that security and that peace that you're seeking. David, having everything stripped away, is beginning to get that idea. Is beginning to understand that God alone is his refuge. One of the other Psalms, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 34. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 34, he appeals to us, right? Come, my children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of God. Of the Lord. Again, David was controlled by fear of people. He was controlled by fear of his circumstances. He was controlled by the fear of the consequences of his own actions instead of fearing God. He began to believe the lie that other people were in charge, that Saul was in charge, that they had power over him or control over him instead of seeing God as sovereign, as the one to fear and the one to worship. Now, David says there in Psalm 142, right, that when he, when he makes God his refuge, what will God do? Then he'll gather people around him. Then he'll allow people to come. And that's what happens in this text. And you see this turning point in 1 Samuel 22, right, as David is there uh, in the cave crying, writing psalms, getting his heart centered on God. Then his family re- rallies around him. Then, then the, the mighty men begin to come. And, and, and before long, there are 400 gathered To him, But look at the change there. He goes there, verse 3, from where David went to Mizpah in Moab. He said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? And as we go through the next couple chapters over the next couple weeks, you'll see this, this massive shift that occurs in David where every step of the way, he's asking, what does God want me to do? He'll draw close to him, the prophet, you know, Nathan, and he'll look for advice from him. Every step of the way, he wants to to make sure his next course of action is what God wants him to do. Why? Because in the darkness of that cave, it got hammered into his soul that God and God alone can be his refuge. I encourage you, think about your life. Next time you feel that that, that fear come up inside of you, think about the root of it. Think about what it reveals about what you find security or who you find security. Wrestle with it. Don't ignore it. Face it. And when you face it and you turn to God then for as a solution, you're going to find the strength to overcome it. And then you're no longer going to be controlled by it or dictated by it. You're going to rise above it and move beyond it and move forward in life. One of my favorite movies is Batman Begins, right? You ever seen that movie? Uh, it's a great movie, and, and it's a similar-themed movie, okay? If you want to have a quiet time on Batman Begins tomorrow, go for it, okay? Uh, you know, Alfred doesn't like that idea, but I think it's a good idea, right? But you, you, you watch the movie, right? And even, even black superhero movies get this concept is if you want to grow and change and move forward, you have to face your fears. And you have to redirect them. Because if you have them faced in the wrong direction or on the wrong thing, you're going to continually be paralyzed by it. And you're never going to become the kind of person God wants you to become. And the challenge for us here is to learn from this dark period in David's life. Yes, here's David, the great hero of the Bible, running for fear, Lying to a priest, going to a foreign nation, peeing on their walls, acting like he's crazy when it's not, and sitting in a cave and crying. But you know what? When we're weak, then we're strong. (laughs) When we're torn down, then God can build us up. Don't resist that process, but embrace it. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing one final song together. Father, we, uh, you know, we do thank you for this, this dose of reality in David's life, God. Father, I know many of us would never, you know, obviously could never even know what it's like to be hunted down like a dog as Saul was doing with David. But God, we know we, we do suffer from the same ailment. And that's that we get paralyzed and controlled and enslaved by our fear, God. And that in our fears, we, we do stupid things. We lose sight of you. We lose sight of what's right and wrong. We compromise and end up back in the world. And, and God, we pray you help us, God. We pray the scary prayer, God, you confront us with our fears. You help us to see them for what they are, God. And we pray that you help us, God, to be a people that, that see ultimately that, that, that there's nothing in this life that we should fear that instead we need to fix our eyes on you, that, that you have all power, all authority. You alone are sovereign. The consequences we fear or the the you know the, the social repercussions that we hide from God are nothing compared to you. And that God, the only one we have a greater fear in all of you, God, are all other fields and fears dealt with, God. Help us, God. Help us to to, to be a people that that wrestle with it, God. To not not be false like the world, God, but to really, you know, lay bare our hearts before you and before one another. God, again, we thank you so much for for David's example, God. And we pray that we allow, you know, his life experiences to teach us that lesson of what it means to fear you. To make you our refuge and our stronghold, God. Learn to make decisions in life based on what, what do you want me to do and where do you want me to go. Help us in all this, God. Pour out much grace and mercy and forgiveness, God. We know we, we fall many, many times on this journey as we pursue you, God. Help us, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand together and sing one final song.